The information in this podcast is educational in general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of In the Market Trenches. If this is your first time checking us out, I'm Eric Fury. This is the Gary Reby. Uh, we're joined by a very special guest today, Dean Trottier. Uh, before we get into Dean's background and the introduction, uh, if this is your first time uh, checking us out, we're available anywhere podcasts are available. You can check us out at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com. We're available on snn.network. You can check us out at the SNN YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash SNN Wire. I'm stumbling over myself. I want to introduce G Dean. Uh, Gary, good to see you in person. Dean, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I listened to a few of the podcasts before you guys have some really good guests. Thank you. We try. We look to add to that today. <laughs> Yeah, Dean, you cool. and I were chatting a little bit beforehand. I'm, I'm very confident it's going to be a good conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I don't think we'd met before. If we had, it was maybe in passing. But uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your your background, your investing style, all that all that good stuff. And we'll sure. Start. So I, I invest uh, primarily in Canada and primarily in in microcaps. I would say you know 80 to 90 percent of my portfolio is in in Canadian listed companies. It's only my capital that I'm managing, so I don't run a fund or anything like that. I, I, you know, I like I like the same things that everyone likes. We want we all want these multi baggers where we can sit and let them grow, sort of to infinity for you know three, five, ten years, whatever that is. But I tend to venture a little bit more on the statistically cheap side when I'm initiating positions. So I have a little bit of a different flavor than some of the other. Uh, investors you may have had on here that are like really focused on those hyper growth companies. I would say, you know, I, I have no formal education in finance or business. I'm all sort of self-taught. Uh, I've paid a tuition many times over in losses over the, the last you know decade and then some. And so I would say it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a different style. It's kind of unique. I, I haven't, I've come across a few people uh, that have some of the same style, but I, I tend not to be uh, the guy that sort of let, you know, don't worry about valuation type thing, never sell type thing. Um, You're not a diamond hands kind of guy? Yeah, I'm not, not really a diamond hands guy. I'd say my, back, my background is in operations. And, you know, I grew up in, like, I grew up in a blue collar family. Both my parents were like they, they, when they were kids, they were poor. Like they, they came from very poor families. So <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So I, I don't come from a lot of money. I don't, and so it, it, it tends to create a different relationship with, with building wealth. And if you already kind of come from it. So yeah, my background is in, is in actually in blue collar. I started out, you know, after uh, high school as a, as a mechanic. And then I went into a different, went into heavy equipment. I went up through, I worked my way through uh, management and operations. And that's when I really cut my teeth on understanding uh, businesses. So while I 
was getting invested or getting interested in public market investing, I was running a couple of businesses inside of this uh, organization or a couple of like smaller parts of this business. And so I was responsible for a bunch of employees in a, and three different income statements. And so the two really dovetailed nicely to get to understand like, what are the, what are the levers you can pull as a business operator? And then what are kind of the things within your control and without that are outside of your control? Maybe you can influence them, but they're outside of your control. So the two really happen, you know, simultaneously. And it really, like I had a really good, um, I was gr like my growth went from, I don't know, like zero to a hundred miles an hour overnight, as far as understanding businesses. Did uh, you find that background gives you a help as helpful as an investor? Cause I feel like one of the things, um, one of the things that's, that's useful is to actually just get a, a micro understanding of how a dollar of revenue flows through the income statement to the cash flow statement and ultimately winds up on the, on the balance sheet. Is that, is that, is that something you sort of saw firsthand with that experience? Yeah, or? yeah absolutely. Like, uh, yeah, 100%. I remember back to, you know, when you, you start kind of looking back to interactions you've had, whether it's at your workplace or someone else's, when you've talked to other business owners and some people are just really good at a specific job and running a business isn't one of them yet they happen to own a business and it's, it's hard for them to kind of, you know, get inoculated with what capital allocation is and everything like that. So yeah, the, the running the business was really important. I, I don't think you can really, I think you just have to do that. Like, I'm not going to lie. I don't think, at least for me, I could, I could never have grasped it as well had I not experienced it firsthand. And the same with leading a team, like by the end of my sort of day job career, I was, you know, I had up to, I had over 60 people like kind of feeding up to me a couple of layers below and I had, you know, five or six managers reporting to me. So managing, man, like that type of leadership, um, especially if you're going through change and we happen to be in Alberta, we're sort of a boom bust economy. Mm -hmm. So living through a cycle while doing that. And, and I joke, it was, it wasn't that long of a tenure, but it doesn't really take that long for the, the bust to happen in, in Alberta, especially on a, we, we have our crude oil uh, happens to be landlocked. So it always trades at a discount to West Texas intermediate. And so we have, mm, we've kind of accentuated uh, business cycles here in Alberta um, mm. because of that. And so, yeah, like understanding the income statements, leading a team, leading product quality, you know, employee safety, like those are just skills I never would have developed unless I was thrown into it. So how did you make the decision to manage money, just your own money on your own to, to leave the day job behind? Yeah, like uh, it, it kind of comes back to, you know, like I was brought up with a very strong work ethic. As I mentioned, like my parents kind of came from nothing. So it was beaten into my head, like you work and save, you work and save. And so I started saving and then I started looking at like, well, how can I reduce fees? So it starts with like this transition from mutual funds to ETFs. And then I think I read the intelligent investor or one of, yeah, it wouldn't have been security analysis. I would have been too, too dry to get through, but I read the intelligent investor and that, that was like, okay, I think I get it. And then I read a couple of Peter Lynch books. And then I was like, okay, this, you know, it seems like something an average person can do. Right. Um, and so I just sort of slowly transitioned. 
I started buying a couple of companies and, you know, like uh, selling a little bit of my ETF, buying a couple of companies, kind of getting a taste for it. And then uh, as like impeccable timing, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this myself in the summer of uh, 2007, right before the market tank. So I like, I rode out the bear market with my own, like all of my hard earned money, like in all of these, in some of these kind of companies and I'm learning about how businesses work. And so like, I remember vividly having conversations with friends being like, how does, you know, how does a bank failing in the States have to do with oil demand here in Canada? Like how, and just trying to like, you, you know, you, you learn so quickly uh, how interconnected everything is um, based on that. And when you switch from the mutual fund, the ETF to individual stocks, did you start in the small micro space or did you go to large caps and then go down in cap size? I, I started more, I started definitely in larger companies. And then as I tried to get a handle on them, I'm like, you know, this business, like if you look at one of our like major integrated oil companies here in Canada, there's projects all over the world. Like they all have their different inputs. And I'm like, and that that's one of the, you know, it's not a, a, a very difficult company because it's, it's, it's a sub, kind of simple commodity supply and demand. So mm -hmm. I was like, I, if I can't understand this thing, how am I going to understand, you know, a company as complex as like Johnson and Johnson, for example. And then I'd listen to the, the conference calls um, or I'd read an analyst report and these guys have all these acronyms behind their name, you know, and I'm just some nobody from, from Canada with like with a, with, you know, with a trades background. And I'm like, oh, how am I, I can't compete with that. So I just naturally kind of went down the market cap until I got to businesses I could actually understand. And I would say now it's the businesses I do own. Some of them are not micro caps. They've started as micro caps and then as they've grown, but I've always been able to kind of keep up with the growth. You know, I've always understood the business as it's grown, right. uh, but they've started as pretty simple stories. And then I've, they've, they've blossomed and then my understanding of the business has as well. Very good. So, do you at now as you as you're as you're here now? Do you gravitate towards certain sectors and industries? Is it um, you know how would you describe um, sort of your style today, and maybe contrast that maybe a little bit with your style at the beginning, and if that's changed at all? Yeah, I would say I've definitely come to appreciate the companies that you don't have to uh, sort of flip, you know, and try and make your twenty fifty. 100% whatever and then try and find another one and another one. I, I like to find the businesses that uh, you can park your money for a while and let them grow. They have to be multiple. The potential has to be multiples of what the opportunity is today. And they have to be run by very high quality management teams. That's really hard to find. Like, you know, I, I you find, a, I don't know, one a year of those, mm -hmm. right? You might think you found more than that. Uh, Dean, Dean you muted yourself. Oh, you muted again. Sorry, Sorry. my apologies. Um, so, so you might think you find, you know, you might think you find a couple of those, and maybe you do. I, I haven't really had any success finding more than one of those really big juicy opportunities once a year, once every few years. Uh, I've definitely gravitated towards more growth. Um, and 
I've been a little bit more as I've matured, I guess matured is the right word. As I've matured, it's, I've grown towards more, you know, a little bit looser with valuations, allowing some of the, yeah. allowing far more of the value to be in the future and, and mm -hmm. allowing companies to maybe not show negative earnings. They can, but see, see the potential several years out. And how would you describe your search process now? How do you find names today? So I, I've worked, you know, really hard to find uh, or to cultivate a network where the ideas usually, they don't always come to me. Like I don't use a lot of screens or anything like that, but I, I generally have an idea funnel, whether it's through Twitter, through my blog, you know, I'm a member of the Microcap Club. And so through those, I generally have a couple of things Kind of on the sort of on the watch list or to look at and then i after i look at them i i make sure i'm following them for a while there's companies i followed for several years i don't own and i'm just kind of waiting for the the right series of events to take place that that i may purchase shares in i may not follow them very very closely but i definitely keep tabs on them you know i'll get like an email alert when they report numbers uh, or i'll make sure i meet with them when i'm at a conference sure so through this learning experience, it, you started out as a full-time investor in summer of 2007. So I'm sure you've learned a lot of lessons. And I think as you're, we were talking before the before we started recording, you've paid paid a good amount of tuition as we both have um, to learn the markets. One of the things that we always ask one of our guests is to share a story of where something didn't work out quite as you had planned. Um, and if you could just kind of walk us through um, you know, how, you, if you could just kind of walk us through how you found the name, how the thesis evolved over time, the due diligence that you did and you know, what surprises um, may have popped up. Yeah, we found so, that successes are a bad teacher. So we're hoping to, you know, learn from, learn from other people's uh, sort of uh, lessons. Uh, we keep inventing our own ways to pay tuition <laughs> uh, and then seemingly inventing new, there's a seemingly infinite number of ways you can do that. So we're just yeah, trying to find out. Yeah, I've, got, I've definitely got my share of battle scars. Um, I just want to make sure I, uh, I didn't miss, misspeak. Um, I've, I haven't been full-time since 2007. That's when I sort of took, took the reins of the portfolio. And then I didn't uh, go full-time till 2018. Um, okay. So that's just just to make sure um, uh, we're clear on, on that. Uh, so yeah, I've I've got lots of stories. I've got the typical, you know, overpaying for cyclical companies. I've got burned with uh, the RTOs uh, in China. Um, I've gotten burned with sort of. I think even when I first started, I was um, it's like tr trying to trade uranium stocks or whatever was hot, kind of gold or uranium. Uh, right. The one I have, the the story that I have is very interesting because it lends itself well to my background. And so it sort of goes to speak how you can utilize some of your skills that um, that you may not get, they may not kind of quote unquote teach you in business school sure. to either build conviction or then, you know, subsequently lose conviction. So the company, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'll refrain from naming them, but they are a small manufacturing company. Um, they were based, uh, 
their operations were in California. They had one facility in California, but they were a Canadian listed company on the venture. And so that's fairly typical for some of these orphaned companies in, in Canada that I tend to stumble upon. How did you find this one? Pardon? How did you find this one? Uh, this one, I think, was posted. It was either, it wasn't a screen. It was posted either someone had sent it to me on my blog or I had on uh, a, either that or on Twitter. It was It had kind of come and land, landed on my inbox. Yep. Um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I'm just following along with the story. Okay, sorry. And uh, so I, I looked at it and it was, it had, it had the makings of, you know, a decent investment. They had, they had, um, their earnings were fairly, uh, it were lumpy earnings based on sort of the pro project revenue or the, the backlog that was being processed, but they always kind of had a bare minimum of, of work that they were able to procure each year. And so you would see like the earnings would run up and then, you know, people would get excited and would trade on multiples of those earnings. Yep. And if, if that project sort of ran through the base earnings would, would provide some stability. And so it was sort of, it was after it sort of rolled over through one of the higher uh, margin profiled um, part of the backlog and they were still generating cash. Um, and then their backlog had grown and they had started to announce that you know, we're starting to see more interest in, in what was his previous, like really um, high margin, high value add, uh, you know, little little run of manufacturing that they did. So they were, you know, their customers were large businesses. They didn't seem to have, they had a little bit of customer concentration, but they were diversified across industries and customers. So there wasn't a ton of risk in that standpoint. And the customer relationships had been established you know, for over a decade. So it wasn't, it wasn't that they were all tied to, you know, something that was temporary. They were, they were growing, their utilization was um, low enough that they didn't need a bunch of capital. And they, it sounded like the, the potential was there for them to not only utilize the equipment they had, but to start to slowly expand into other adjacent markets. And because they had these established relationships with these very large customers, it sounded like they had the opportunity to sort of dig in a little bit more and, and provide some more services to those customers. Mm -hmm. So I had traveled to the the AGM is was about a three hour drive from here. And so I went to the AGM. This wasn't where the business was uh, operating, it was just where the AGM was. So the CEO, he had a, I don't know if he had a house or he had something here. He would fly in, you know, into Calgary. And I went to the AGM and he was, he would answer my questions and I was like, okay, this is a decent little business. Um, he was very receptive, very patient. And I was the only shareholder at the AGM, which is fairly typical, right? So you get, you get well over an hour, you're just poking and prodding. And then, you know, so I, I purchased some shares. I think uh, I went to an LD micro and then I took some friends and we after the conference ended we went and toured the facility in it was in california and so we we toured the facility they were very busy their backlog was at a record the machines were were being uh utilized fairly well you know my 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 operations background um in in lean and a little bit of six sigma kind of you know there was a couple of things i seen on the production shop floor and i was like you know 
this isn't as big of a business as I was used to interacting with where I had work was working. And so I was like, well, maybe I can kind of forgive some of these things. You know, really the business is, is humming along. They're getting new project wins. You know, they're, they're executing well, their, their backlogs at a revenue, their, their profitability is getting better. And, and, you know, it's, it's high, it's not high fixed cost, but once the fixed costs are covered, the incremental dollar just goes almost right to the bottom line, right to the operating margin. So then, you know, I was fairly happy as time went on, they, they kind of, I wouldn't say they missed numbers. They just missed my sort of expectations for the next few quarters. And, but the backlog and some of the forward looking measures, they were all there. So I, I didn't sell anything. Um, I continued to, you know, I'd call the CEO after every other comp or after every other earnings release and kind of get caught up on the business. Um, in the meantime, you know, there were some yellow flags, like the CFO had left. There's another company that there, um, that's in the same, uh, like the same building as them. That's was sort of like a side project that was supposed to get to commercialization of, of one of their pro products by now, and it never happened. And so they still were kind of kind of helping them out more than I thought was appropriate. Was it a side, was it a side pro? It, you mentioned it was a side product project. Was it a related party transaction? Or? Yeah, it was. And and you know some of those things like they're fairly common in microcap and and. and it's it's not like there's a hard and fast rule for me. It kind of depends. Every everything is looked at with open eyes. So if you you can tell the egregious ones and you don't even bother, but some of them you're like, well, I can see, you know, this this relationship dates back to when the company was founded. You know, this this side project, this individual, they both kind of started at the same time. It was minimal capital required. Mm -hmm. And then at and you're like, okay, well, now it looks like we're kind of skimming some OPEX, maybe we're sharing some expenses. You know, I don't know if this person for this uh, other company, it only had a few people. Like, I don't know if they're paying the appropriate amount of rent. I don't know, you know. And so, it, it what was promised to be sort of, you know, when they would cut the umbilical cord, was just not happening, or definitely not happening at the cadence I wanted with my capital. And so, I happened to be back in in California. I went and toured the facility again, and it was just me this time. And so, I started kind of asking some. I wouldn't say they were like to me. They weren't harder questions. They were just questions an investor should ask, right? They're yeah. like, "Hey, you've got this this company over here. What is it contributing?" You know, I I'm all for uh, you know small controlled experiments with with the balance sheet. That's completely fine, especially if the if the payoff is like a lottery ticket. But you know, when does that kind of get cut? And then at this time, I went and I seen a different. I seen the facility. Uh, being utilized a little differently and the, the backlog was still at a I don't know if it was quite at a record but it was very high and the CEO was like well, we need to purchase more more machines and so you know I went I went into the facility and I'm I'm talking and I'm like well you know there's I don't know if there's 25 of these things they're all they all have a little bit different uses so it's not that it's a one for one and I'm like well you know I'm like hey I, wa I walk around here I see Twenty of these things. I don't know all of the specifics, but I only see a few of them being on right now. Like what, you know, it's I understand it's kind of in the evening, like maybe like, would it be better if you just ran another shift? Would it be better if you, um, you know, like why is that one sitting there? And they take a while to 
to kind of set up for the production run. So it's not like the interchange is like we stop, we just slide in another product and go. So there was there's that element too. Um, but it, again, the answers I was getting were were there's the more I kind of poked and prodded the less and less I liked I liked it what the what I was getting in return. So it was like I'm like so that that the dots weren't lining up, huh? Yeah. Yeah, like and and you know it's, it's yellow flags became red flags. Yeah, and it was like it was and so all like very quickly I went from I wouldn't say it was like a cheerleader of the business, but I went from like a big supporter and a big believer. I left there and all of a sudden like you know it might I just did a 180 and I didn't like I didn't you know go and I didn't just dump the stock the next day. I kind of waited I slept on it. I kind of revisited it in like a week and I'm like, you know what, you know, what, what is now my best case scenario? What is my probable scenario and what is my downside? And then, and then when you're, you know, when you're putting your capital to work, it's like, who are you partnering with? You know, the last thing I want to do is wake up on, you know, and go, go to check the markets on Monday morning and find out and get a news release for something. I'm like, I'm like, what, where did this come from? So like some of the questions, I was, I was like, so, you know, that machine over there, what, why isn't it working? What's it working on? And be like, oh, we're waiting for, you know, we're waiting for a customer to come in and do a quality check, which I completely understand. I'm like, okay, well, you know, when is that customer? It's a very high profile customer. You know, when is that, when is that person coming? Well, they were supposed to be here last Thursday. And so this was, this was now like the following Monday. And I'm like, okay, so like, is there, like, how does that work? Like they promised, you know, you, they were going to be here on Thursday. Things get delayed. I understand that. But like, you're now talking about having to buy, you know, several million dollars in equipment and get another, they wanted to lease another space to put this equipment because this place was jam packed with it. So I'm like, your incremental costs are huge. Like, so what is, what is the consequence for that customer? And, and, you know, people are rational. They're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to send them a million dollar fine to for a few days late, but there should be something built into the agreement, in my opinion, that says like, you know, well, if if you are late more than this amount of time or whatever, we need we have a business to run, and you know, we need to either not necessarily charge you, but then we're going to change out the equipment and we're going to run another product through there, and you're just going to have to wait for that delay or something like that. Yeah, the consequence. Yeah, like, and and it's, I don't think that's unreasonable. And I like to think that if you, if you give people the benefit of the doubt, and if you build that sort of into your relationship, as you, as a relationship goes, um, you know, people are generally willing to work with you, like understanding this was, this was a, this product was a very small cost to the, that they were supplying to the customer, the finished product, like we're talking not even pennies of the dollar, like just very, like just a micro cost is obviously very important and it has a very high quality standard but it's a very small cost and this company was carrying some of the working capital for their customers by doing this and so when you start to kind of you know from an operational standpoint when you start to think of you know i'm stuck with however many 25 of these machines how can i align my sales and everything to best utilize the equipment to drive as much to the bottom line and add as most add the most value to the customer because also you don't want your customers to wait if you can turn around your product in half the time like why wouldn't you right like maybe you have some things uh in in a stock program especially if they're if they're constant repeat orders and and your machines are sitting idle like why wouldn't you have a little bit of a 
uh, of a sort of strategic inventory buffer. And then as well as when you're sort of tooling up the equipment to run the production, like how, how do you look at that and get it like as quick as possible? Maybe there, if there's repeat orders, maybe some of it's just always dedicated or, or tooled up. And so when you started to ask those questions and then, you know, I was asking about, because I didn't, uh, I didn't have, um, like I didn't go to university or anything like that. So I don't have a business background. And I was asking some of the, like, you know, you know, I learned about this sort of lean manufacturing concept and, you know, this reduction of waste and, and, you know, this, this concept of, you know, uh, downtime is waste, uh, overprocessing. That's another form of waste, you know, not having the right sort of maintenance schedule for your, for your equipment. This is all waste that's in your process or that can be in your process. And it was just met with, with a lot of resistance. Like, I don't need some academic to come down here and tell me how to run my business. You know, I built the business from, from zero to this, uh, you know, out of my, out of my basement type thing. And it was a lot of kind of pushback and, and I don't go in and tell people what to do. It's, it's really just me asking questions. Mm. Uh, the last thing I, you know, I don't know that business. I don't know the customers. I'm not going to tell them how to do though, how to run that business. But it was just, when you started asking the questions, you could see like, it got more and more guarded and, and quite quickly it was it was just sort of dead silence between the two of us um and so yeah that was like you know you it was a wasn't um wasn't like a 20 percent position for me but i think it was close to a 10 percent position at the time and so you know it was like it was a fair bit of capital and again when you don't when when you start um when you start you know from zero like i did i didn't have any I didn't have a big uh, handout or anything for my my parents. Everything I have is very hard earned. So you really think about your capital and your your losses differently. They really scar you. And so I ended up, like I said, I I waited a little bit, but I ended up kind of selling my shares slowly and gradually over the next quarter. Um, yeah. and, and I ended up, like I ended up, I think because I had purchased sort of on those trough expectations. I think I ended up making a little bit of money. But not not a not shoot the lights out multi bagger you know the stuff that we all take victory laps on Twitter for. <laughs> <laughs> it's too funny. I, we we try to stay away from victory laps just in general because uh, I think we just they just line us up for uh, maybe bigger mistakes going forward. Oh, yeah. um, we we don't do we? I don't think we largely. Um, invest in any small manufacturers like like maybe we have in the past but like with with a customer like do you find with those types of investments the the, the company their customers are basically dictating terms to them and using them basically to offload their capex and working capital and sort of you know they're it's sort of gonna be what it's gonna be like is that one of the lessons from this or is that is that and do you still invest in companies like this and then uh you know, what's the postscript? Because it sounds like there were yellow flags that might have been turning red and maybe maybe something happened. Yeah. So to, to kind of answer your first question about, you know, are they sort of dictating terms and, and it just is what it is? Uh, there's definitely a piece of that. Um, I don't know if that was the entire business uh, for this specific company. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, as I've as I've grown as an investor, I've started to realize you know, business quality and who's who's kind of driving the bus uh, as far as pricing goes. So there was definitely a piece of that. And when I had said like that customer, 
is waiting or we're waiting on this customer to come and do some sort of a check. That was that was probably the case with that specific customer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, understanding it is what it is, is is very critical. This is those are businesses you don't really fall in love with. It doesn't mean they can't generate a nice return and they can't sort of offset some other portions of your portfolio when you think of it from like a portfolio construction standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing with that business, when I purchased shares, there was the, I had the added margin of safety as uh, it wasn't a net net, but they had, they own all the real estate. And so like, had they really gotten stuck, had they just sold the real estate, it was worth more than the market cap of the company. And it was listed as, I can't remember, it's listed as, fairly negligible on on the balance sheet. So right. that gave me a little bit more comfort. Um, and then like the, po- you know, what what did I learn? You know, understanding the business, it is what it is. Um, and then if they are uh, a product company or something uh, like manufacturing, really getting to see for myself because of my background, I think adds another layer of conviction. And I think I, I do have investments that are similar. They're not usually the core of my portfolio, but I've definitely gone up sort of the quality chain when it comes to those types of businesses where the product they're supplying is very, uh, like it's very specialized, it's very critical. Um, it, it requires a lot of sort of technical expertise. Mm-hmm. And so I've gotten, I guess that's sort of what I've gotten out of this where I don't just try and find you know who's who's providing the cheapest widget um for for a big a bigger uh, manufacturer and just like you said carrying their working capital and their inventory for them right right and what was the postscript to this story so you you slept on it you kind of uh, wound it down um that you sounded like there was a little bit of smoke was there fire yeah, so like very interesting. Um, the CEO ended up uh, leaving the country, and they had a new CEO. They emerged with another business that has uh, uh, operations all the way on the other coast, and so the CEO left, and they had to. Um, he had he had borrowed money from the business, and they had to. I don't know if they had to seize property or something like that. So the the lesson was like really the business quality, but then really be careful who you're partnering with. You know, the microcap land is like the wild west. And so you have all of these opportunities, but you have, you have, you have potential governance um, issues, you know, you could have like nepotism and stuff like that. So you have to be really careful um, who you're partnering with. And I think, you know, letting, you know, we've, we've, gone through this kind of weird time in the markets where we're all you know stuck inside and we're all looking at our screens more frequently and so like the share price going up doesn't necessarily mean that you've made a good decision really like if your thesis is 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 x and the share price goes up but x doesn't materialize you you may get wealthier but you may not have actually done the right analysis of the business yeah, that's why we think success is such a bad teacher. And I think Annie Duke calls what you're talking about resulting, where you're evaluating what happened based on, on the basis of whether it worked out or not, and yep. not not the process that produced the result. Uh, 
So that's, uh, do you find that with the smaller companies, it's sort of easier to identify sort of the nepotism and the self-dealing and the related party stuff? Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I would say it, it's it's easier. Um, I don't know if it's it's more or less prevalent than as you go sort of up market, but, but it's easier. And I think it's a little bit easier to get a read on the integrity of the individual for, rather than someone who's like, you know what, my first AGM was with... Uh, in Canada, we only have like five bank, five big banks, and then we have a couple of smaller ones. And so my first AGM was with a, uh, like a multi-billion dollar uh, bank. And so I, you could easily see the sophistication, especially yeah. when interacting with investors was, was very high for this individual. And you, you do see that in some of the micro cap uh, names, but generally you're seeing you know, people that are a little bit more say easier to not always easier to read but the the signs are there if they kind of get it or if they don't get some of the capital allocation stuff and and like i've got some stories of like some you know just some they're not wrong they're just kind of cringy moments where you're at uh when you're interacting with the ceos and i i listen to one of your guys's podcasts on like some some of the conference calls like i remember on one of the conference calls that in one of the companies i own like every quarter is like, Kate, here's the results. It's still like not great. And people would just get on the phone and they would just yell at the CEO. He would just take a laugh. <laughs> and he'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm working on this. We're going to do this. And, you know, I understand like there's all this cash on the balance sheet. I'm putting it to work. And, you know, people were like, why aren't you buying back your stock? Why aren't you doing this? And, and he would just like, he would just say like, this is, this is the plan. The board hired me for this plan. This is what we're doing. And it was probably like, I don't mean it was one bad quarter. I mean, like this was like six quarters where he would get on and like <laughs> it took so much time. And this and he he has executed exactly what he said he would do. You know, the timelines are a little bit different, and you know, some things happen here, and they needed capital sooner. But like they've done, they've turned the business around. It's a completely different business, and he's had very good professionalism throughout it. He was very patient. But I rem like that's what you get in 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 micro caps like in this I don't know like the poor guy like every quarter but you know that he I don't know, he won he he did what he said he was going to do and he's done very well. Let's take a little detour. Uh, we're going to have a new segment on in the market trenches called Cringe Corner, and I want to hear about the cringiest story that you can share with me. Uh well, <laughs> um I'll. I'll I'll keep you it. don't have the same names, just, you know. Oh, no, I, I'll, I'll try to make it. for us. Because we've had I a few cringy moments ourselves over time. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, like, the CEO getting yelled at. I've had a few, um, we've had a few, like, when you get into some of the, the microcap names, there's a fair, like, there's a lot of promotion, right? And so it's funny this one company that i'm thinking of they and again they've actually done very well but the ceo we sat at the table at a conference and it's one of the the 20 minute uh kind of one-on-one meetings but it's a group of us yeah you go to the table right yeah there's like it's like five five of us and this company uh they're, they're performing uh fairly well and the ceo like i don't know if like i don't know if he was like having a lot of energy drinks or whatever <laughs> but he's like super energetic like he's just like like he's almost like he wasn't panicky or anything but he was just like he was just like so overstimulated and he was like and i know anyone that's uh 
enough people will figure this one out but he was just like he was so intense and like like laser like right in your eyes so piercing and he was like and if this goes through we're gonna make an f ton of money and he just was like we're gonna be on the super bowl and we're gonna and it was just like was so intense and i'm like i'm like and you know at these conferences like after the few of uh, the few days like you're your bandwidth is taxed, right? You're like, you're, you're a little bit fried. Like you're, yeah. you're kind of just like trying to grasp all the things in real time. And he was so intense with it. And I just remember being like, okay, like if he's, <laughs> if he's, if he can operate this, like he's absolutely right. I never took a position on the shares of, have done very well. And he he's executed quite well, but like, it was so, I don't know. It just, it caught you off guard because everyone else is very slow. And sometimes, these CEOs are so like they're they're timid because they've had a bad experience. So they're so guarded on what they say. They're very like, um, it's like, oh, we don't know, we don't provide guidance. We don't, and it's like, well, look, I'm not asking you for like what's your gross margin next quarter. I'm asking you, like, what do you think in three or five years this business could look like? I don't want you to tell me what your EPS is gonna be so I can put it into my model. Like, I'm long term here. I'm thinking like. You know what can this potentially be and what's your business model <laughs> yeah. right? like what do you hope to do here <laughs> yeah and, and you know like you don't you don't go into micro caps because you want like you know a six percent dividend yield to pay for your living expense you go into them to grow your your wealth right and so uh i've had a few i've had an, another few where it's just been it's been i can't remember the the company but it's like hey you know, you're, you, you said you bought this business or you've gotten this business at like some absurdly cheap multiple, like how, like, like this is like in the, in the age where we're more connected than ever, like, how are you, like, what are you guys doing? Was that the quote, Gary? (laughs) So I had a, I had a, we, we went to some conference and we had some, uh, some food distributor company that bought like a really sexy, uh, um, like meal kit delivery business of some variety. And they were like bragging about the great price they got. And this is before, you know, one or two of them went public and whatever else. And like the VCs were just throwing lots and lots of money at these things. And I, and me being that guy, I, I stand up in the middle of the room. And I'm like, so you, this, you, this was a good price. Right. And he's like, Oh yeah, it was a fantastic price. And I was like, can you just explain your good fortune to me? And they couldn't do it. It was just like, it was, it, it, I, I, I mean, love- we so we we did an episode about this, yeah, and it was an like, this. yeah, I mean, everyone in the room is kind of high fiving each other, like, yeah, hey, we got a great price, we got a great price. Meanwhile, I'm looking at Gary like he just invented fire, and I hear the CEO's response is like, I can't get out of this quick enough. Like, <laughs> too- yeah, and what what's not said or or the shift in body language that's the that's the due diligence you're after, right? Because you can put whatever through the 10K and the 10Q, yeah. but it's that that interaction. You're like, that doesn't quite, well, these don't add up to me. Um, similar to that, like, why are we going and buying new equipment and getting all of this, you know, adding all these expenses in this machinery when we have all this idle equipment right there? Like it's right in front of us, like understanding there may be things outside of your control, but is there, have we, we pulled all the levers for this business right here, right now on the margin? Have we we executed that? Um, yeah, there's there's been a few like the the, the conferences are fun, but then um, the socializing and networking adds a lot of value and, and getting 
know, getting a couple of candid questions in is, is huge. Yeah, we're looking forward to going, getting back and uh, maybe meeting some people again soon. I, I mean, I don't know what soon means, but uh, I'm tired of being cooped up. That's uh, hopefully we can hopefully we can get back on the road and get some new stories and some new cringe moments and and, <laughs> and meet some, and meet some new people. I like the I like the cringe corner. That's uh, that's really good. Yeah, in microcapital, there's like no shortage of it, and like you know, I could see. I can I is it a good assumption that you like to meet and talk to all the managers of the companies that you're involved in? Yeah, at least if it's um if it's something that especially if it's not well followed by anyone on uh, on social media or the microcap club or anything, then yeah, I don't have um of as many people to sort of bounce the idea off with uh, off of with. So I definitely like to meet them in person, especially if I'm one of the more um one of the people that's more interested in it than the others yeah i mean it's it's a it, since they're less polished i think it's easier to get a handle on if there's something un, untoward going on yeah. although we've been fooled once or twice so you know it's uh it's I, I feel like with the big companies i don't feel like i have such a need to talk to people there i feel like you can you know it's you're gonna get polished answers anyway but with the smaller companies you really got to do it um yeah I like the like I've had a you know I've had a few um, if you had mentioned the food distributor like I I don't know if it's the same company but like I've had where it might like, be likely likely is <laughs> <laughs> but there's a there was a few times where it was you know it's really the person's character and so um, you know it's like okay we've bought this new like health food line and it's like the CEO is is like you know are are you a believer in the product like are you on would you buy this product yourself like you know we've all especially after covid now we've all got some weight to lose i guess but like you know are you a believer enough in the product that you would purchase it personally and you know why if if not why why not um as well as when you sort of ask questions about competitors and and their um their positioning and their behavior and then if you watch the response in the CEO, if it's very combative and it's very uh, defensive on like, well, everyone else, you know, all the other businesses are run by idiots, but I, I know what's going on here. I know. And when they kind of give answers like that, it speaks a lot to the character. And again, it, it's like who you're partnering with. You don't want to wake up to a sort of an unexpected private placement when you didn't think there was going to be one. Um, and I was thinking about that acquisition story sort of as I was telling it, like any company that I've had where acquisitions have been a, a big part of the thesis, yeah. they've never been at like these absurdly cheap multiples. They've always been at reasonable multiples with a well thought out thesis on like whether it's pre or post integration or whether it's like we really want the people or we really, really want this product or we need this, this you know, international distribution to, to sort of sell our product through. It's never been, you know, everything else has been sold at five times revenue and we managed to scoop this little thing up at one times revenue. Yeah. Right. We, we've been involved in a few different like, um, like NOL show pick vehicles where acquisitions are part of the strategy. And it's funny, you know, we look at some of the deals that these people will wind up doing and we sort of just scratch our heads wondering you know, if they're looking for things at the, you know, the low multiples or whatever. And maybe that's the kind of person who gets control of an NOL show. I don't know. but doesn't strike us to be um, the wise. I, are we involved in anything else that we're, we're 
acquisitions are part of the strategy, really? I don't think so. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, just the NOL shelf, that's normally the case, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we're sort of recovering a NOL shelf people. So <laughs> don't do as much of that as we as we did at one point. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. What else do we got? Uh, I think that I think for hey, it's pretty good. I, Dean, we really appreciate you being on. I appreciate the story. It's great. Uh, not like I said, not sure if we've met before, but it's great meeting you and having the conversation. Where can people go to follow what you've been up to lately uh, and see some of your work? So uh, they have, I have a blog. It's called Petty Cash. Um, I'm sure uh, I can send it to Bobby and he can link it in the show notes. I'm also on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Petty Cash. Um, with two underscores between petty and cash because the other one was straight petty cash was taken. Uh, and like, I encourage people to to reach out. I'm fairly open. Like I said, I, I don't have a traditional background in, in business or finance. So I tend to be a little bit more open with um, what I'm doing in my process and even some of the personal finance stuff as I've made the switch from, you know, from, in, from having a typical day job to, to being a full-time investor. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you again for, for coming on. Uh, for anyone that's tuning in, uh, we're available anywhere podcasts are available. Check us out at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com, snn.network, or the SNN YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash snnwire. Dean, thank you again so much. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks a lot, Dean. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. The information in this podcast is educational in general nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.